I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. My guest this week is Julie Mathers, the founder of Flora and Fauna, an online store specialized in vegan and eco-friendly products. After 25 years working in retail, Julie decided to take her experience as a retailer and combine it with her passion for the environment and animal welfare and create a business that was conscious of its impact on the world to drive change for the better. She's been increasingly frustrated working for retailers who weren't responsible for their actions and wanted to know how products are produced and what they're made of and who makes them and, by the way, what the customer expects. So Julie launched her business, Flora and Fauna, in 2014 with 30 brands and 500 products. Now, they have a huge range with over 8,000 products and 300 brands, sourcing the best ethical, low-waste and vegan skincare, food, fashion and lifestyle products in the country. I'm going to ask Julie about what are the important aspects of her business life that made her successful. For example, the ethic of hard work. How important is that? The concept of thinking like a proprietor. How does she do that and how important is that? How important is the value of being simple and elegant in the way you express your messaging both online and, by the way, in your product lines? And I want to get inside her head around those little one percenters that make businesses really successful. What are examples of what everyone keeps talking about? One percenters, one percenters. What is a one percenter? That's what we're going to talk about, so let's get into it. Julie Mathers, welcome to The Mentor. And I have spoken to you before in the past, but I have to introduce Julie right now is that, I'll be honest with you, I know she is one of Alexandra Sloan, who's the marketing director at uh, um, Facebook and Instagram, one of their stand-up faves of all time. I know that because I love the way you guys use Facebook and Instagram, but welcome to The Mentor. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Mark. Delighted to be here. A lot of people know who you are, uh, you know, and you guys are quite... Uh, Prevalent and, uh, in some respects, quite prolific when it comes to social mediums. But I'll, I'll put that aside for just for the moment. Um, everybody wants to know, how do you become flora and fauna? There's, like, there's lots of copycats of you guys around at the moment, which is nice. That's uh, you know, the greatest form of um, admiration is emulation. Um, <laughs> a lot of people emulating you guys. Um, you start kicked this off in 2014. But I want to go back a little bit further than that. I want to go back and see your story, like, what is the story of Julie Mathers? Like, where do you come from? And obviously you're English, you've got an English accent, but where do you come from? And how did you end up becoming a retailer online for something that is environmentally and socially responsible? Tell me the story. Yeah. Oh, so um, I grew up in Manchester in the UK. 
So and it's a picture of Manchester. I mean, like a lot of people wouldn't know what Manchester oh, is. Oh yeah, so like. so Manchester, north of England. Um, and I actually grew up, and I say Manchester. I sort of grew up in the southern bit of Manchester in Cheshire. So very leafy, quite oh, quite rural. I think if you watch Coronation Street, if anyone watches Coronation Street, that's that's Manchester in a nutshell, really. Lots of uh, semi-detached housing and... Um, it's a working class sort of area. Oh, it's kind of... Um, middle class. M- my mum would say no. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She didn't... Sh- she, oh, no, middle class, Julie. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's kind of working to middle class. Yeah, really. yeah. It was North of England, which is sort exactly. of... Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's not like being in Surrey or something. No, we're not in Surrey. Yeah. No, definitely not in Surrey. So you're talking about... So the equivalent in New South Wales, you're probably talking about, uh, you know... Middle Western suburbs of Sydney. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Where exactly. normal people are. Normal people, yeah. very normal people. And it's quite funny because if I ever go back to the UK, and I've been here 11 years now, the neighbour who's three doors down, who I won't have seen for 15 to 20 years, will go, all right, Julie, how are you? <laughs> As yeah. if nothing's happened. It's that kind of place. Staunch. Yeah, very, very staunch. staunch. Yeah, yeah. Nothing changes. A lot of uh, window... Curtain twitches, seeing what's going on with the neighbours. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of that sort Sounds of like stuff. an episode of Peaky Blinders. Um, So yes. your background, though, your personal background. Yeah. So you grew up there, you went to school there, obviously. What about your family? What's the deal with your family? What about mum and dad? What was their deal? Mum and dad. So mum and dad, really hardworking. And it's funny because I've reflected on this recently where I've gone, God, where do I get my work ethic from? Because I work crazy hours. Because that's a big, that's a big, that, that is actually a big question in business. Yeah. Where does someone get their work ethic from? Yeah. Or how do I develop a work ethic? That makes me successful. Yeah, and it's mum and dad. So dad, 73 now, he's always worked for himself. He's a painter and decorator. Um, He now believes he's part-time because he doesn't work Sundays. (laughs) He works six days a week. And um, he's always worked incredibly hard. But also the nicest... And consistently, I'd say. And consistently. And consistently. So the only times where he's been in a bit of strife is during recession. Yep. Then I was a young child, so I didn't really know what was going on anyway. But he's worked incredibly hard throughout his life and he's also just the nicest bloke. Like, my dad is a lovely, lovely man. Mum has equally worked really hard. So I grew up, and I think this is probably where I get a bit of my independence from, I grew up with, um, my granddad owned a dairy and my mum was a milkman or a milk person. Milk person. Yeah, exactly. Milk lady. Milk lady. She was a milk lady. She was the only woman in the business doing it. And she got up at, and she did this from the age of four. She basically went to go and help my granddad out for a week or two. And she was there 20 years. And um, she'd get up at 2 a.m. in the morning. She'd go and deliver the milk for the day. And I went with her growing up many times. You know, we'd be dragged in and you can go and deliver milk as well. She'd get back about midday. And then she'd clean the house. She'd pick us up from school and um, and do all of that. And then at some point sleep. But she worked incredibly hard. And she did that six days a week. I think Sunday was the only day she got off. And I grew up with both parents doing that, but also both parents not earning a lot of money either. And so kind of having to scrape to get things together. So we didn't really go on many holidays. Um, but you probably didn't suffer either. But we didn't suffer, no. No, exactly. We, I didn't feel like, like I'm not someone who has a desire for things. You don't have a chip on your shoulder either. You don't feel no. like, oh, shit, like this, the world's been really cruel to me, therefore therefore, I'm going to be really responsive and uh, make myself into becoming a successful person. Yeah, no, I just, I actually think I had a great childhood. Um, 
very tough, very hard. We didn't get to do many things, um, but I had two absolutely loving parents who loved myself and my sister to bits and and really sort of instilled great values in us. I want to talk about it because that's it. I often, you know, like I often do presentations where I talk about this ethic of hard work um, and, and people go, oh, well, it's, it's sort of nearly a problem, you know, you work hard, you do well. But like, uh, you know, you just said something very interesting. Um, both your parents worked long hours mm. consistently and it's not what your parents tell you but it's what you see as a kid growing up. Yeah. We become what we see from our parents. If we're going to get anything from our parents, it's what we see them do, not what they tell us they're going to do or what, not, yeah. not, not what they tell us what we should be doing is what they, what they do. We're not conscious of it. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I grew up something similar to that but, you know, I, I was not even really conscious of what they were doing. It was just, oh, well, that's what you do. You go to work and you work hard. Yeah. And, and I, I didn't even think you work hard. You just go to work. Just do it. Yeah, just do it. Yeah. So, so with your work ethic, do you find that it's from what you saw? 100%. So if you've got someone, if you're talking to someone out there who's looking to set up a business and be successful and they're finding it hard to get out of bed in the morning and that sort of thing, I mean, what would you say to them? Like how do you, how do you get these people <laughs> to get this, this work ethic? It's, it's not about being consciously hardworking, but how do you, how, what would you say to them? Um, how would you get them out of their bad habits? So – you know, I had a conversation. I've had two conversations that I can recall quite vividly. Um, somebody, a friend of mine, who set up a business at the same time as me, and he and uh, he said to me, he goes, "Oh, Julie," because we sort of did a bit of. I grew quite quickly, and and he didn't. And he goes, "Oh, you know, I, I just don't know what I need to do." And I said, "Well, I said you got to work really hard." I said, "You got to." Someone said something to me once: "You have got to have a bit of mongrel in you," and um, and that's always really stuck with me because I'm like, "Yeah, you've got to be able to." to work hard and to, to to do what you need to do. And he said, oh, but I really like my weekends and huh. I like to do things. And I said, well, you can forget that. I said, if, if you really want to make this work, you have to absolutely make sacrifices. So you've got to love making it work more than you love your weekends. 100%, yeah. And that's, and that's very much. For me, I don't see work as work. And, uh, and I have another friend of mine, she called me last week and she goes, I just need a bit of advice because she's got a, a skincare business and... We helped her out by getting rid of some some of her stock because blah, blah, blah. Anyway, she said to me, she goes, I'm not sure what to do with it. And I said, well, he, she goes, I, I kind of feel like, should I should I revive it? And I said, well, do you want to go around again with this? Do you want to do it again? She goes, oh, I'm not sure I do. Well, I said, well, there's your answer. I said, if you if you can't put in the hard yards to do this, don't bother. Um, and so I'm a bit blunt with people. <laughs> and I go, if you don't want to do this and if you're not prepared to make sacrifices and real sacrifices – and if you're not prepared to to work till midnight and beyond at times, then don't bother. Yeah, go get a job. Go get a job. Go work for someone no, else. I don't mean that in a bad. I don't mean that in a bad way. I yeah. just say you're not suited for it. That's right. Because too many people fail in business, largely because they're not prepared to put in the yards. Yeah, and that's and we've put in the yards now for six years, and and it doesn't let up. Because it's not a matter of patience, is it? It's yeah. just a matter of just doing what I'm doing every day. This is what I'm doing. I'm, I mean, people say you've got to be patient. Uh, yeah, well, the outcome is you, you, you're seen as being patient, but it's really I, – I, I'm not a conscious, patient person. I yeah. would say I, in hindsight I am patient, but I'm, I don't think, well, now, Mark, be patient. I don't think that. Yeah, yeah, I just yeah. get up and do what I've got to do today. Yeah. Is that a, a good way to put it to these people? Stop thinking about being patient because we're all impatient. Yeah. Um, and uh, stop thinking about what you're missing out on, but think about what you're doing. Think about what you're doing. Get excited about what you're doing. 
and be prepared to do everything ethically within, you know, don't go and screw people over, but be prepared to do what you need to do to get to where you need to get to and, and work hard. And I think the thing for me is, I talk about this with my husband quite frequently because he works at Flora and Fauna as well. And um, if we kept just, if we just started and we just sort of went, yeah, let's go on the mill and just do what we're doing and blah, 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 we wouldn't be the size we are. But I'm constantly coming up, because I love what I do, I'm constantly coming up with new ideas. I'm going, oh, right. So what comes first, Julie? I want to know, because that's very important. What comes first? Is it, is it the idea that generates excitement or is it the excitement that generates the idea? So how do you do this coming up with these new ideas all the time, these new, you know, new product lines or just yeah. new things to make the whole business, the business just keep humming? What, which one, what generates what? They both work a bit together, but I'm, I'm listening to my customers all the time, right? all the time. And that's where you get your ideas from. You listen to them, you talk to them. I get very invigorated by talking to our community and customers. And it's how I started my career. And it's what I love and it's why I'm, I do what I do right now. And, I, and I, I often see problems and I go, well, there's a problem. We can fix it. And then I go, right, we'll go and fix it in this way. And I'll normally come up with something quite blue sky and big and then I'll rein it into something that we can actually achieve. Um, but that's when I get very excited. I look at things and go, well, there's a problem with recycling. Well, what can we actually do about that realistically? Because we can't do something that is just pie-in-the-sky thinking. We've got to do something that is manageable and also that's something that is really easy for people to understand and get their head around. And um, so I get myself onto a bit of a, a bit of an exciting track with that one. And, um, and that keeps me, me fuelled in some ways. Because I think if I was just doing the doing and, you know, going through the motions every day and going, great, I run a retail business and that's fantastic, um, I, I'm someone who would get bored. I just want to recap on three things that I've just heard you say. So, you know, business owners are always asking me, you know, what are the things that are, you know, required to be successful in business? You know, I, I can only draw my own experiences, but I just want to draw on your experiences now. So you just said three really important things. So the first one is no matter what you're doing, I don't give a shit whether you're uh, building, you know, the, a cybersecurity uh, system for the government or – you're uh, running a hairdressing salon or it doesn't matter whether you're doing floor and floor or you're running Yellow Brick Road or you're running a mentor, whatever it is, there is the, the ethic of hard work. You must be – that is a common denominator in every success story. You must work hard. What that means is just being consistently at the plough daily and you don't stop until you've done what you've got to do. Yeah. So that's it's a very basic, simple premise – but number one, hard work and understanding the ethic of hard work. So you, you, if you're a, you're a business person out there and you're listening to this, you just heard what Julie said, what I'm getting out of this, what I get out of all the people I speak to is you must understand what the ethic of hard work is. Now, Julie's lucky because she grew up that way. So she was socially developed by seeing it with her own parents. If you haven't had that advantage, then you have to sit down and intellectualize this, get comfortable with it. If you're not comfortable with it, go get a job. But if you are comfortable with it, that's the way you've got to do it once you understand. That's the first thing That's the first thing she said. The second thing she just said, something really, really interesting, is that what gets her excited and that builds, and from that she builds new ideas, There are, and she gets it from her customer feedback. That is the hallmark of what I call thinking like a proprietor. A lot of people in business 
whatever the business might be, do not think like a proprietor. Proprietors think the way Julie's explaining. You must think like a proprietor. Proprietor says, how can I make sure that my customer's more happy when they come into my coffee shop compared to the coffee shop 50 metres down the road? Well, if you're thinking about the customer, you say, well, a good proprietor or a person who thinks as a proprietor doesn't think, how can I make more money out of that person? Uh, a good proprietor says, what does my customer want when they walk in at 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. in the morning and get a, for a cup of coffee? Well, they want me to know their name. They want me to remember what type of coffee they drink. They want me to make have a nice, comfortable, warm premises. How can I make it better? That's what you're saying, yeah? Yeah. Customer yeah, feedback. I mean, in your case, it's a bit more sophisticated, a lot more sophisticated. You probably do special surveys and all that sort of stuff and you build, find out what the type of product is and you've got quite complex products, even though they're simple products, but they're quite complex. Yeah. Um, and the third thing you said, so we, we've got hard work, thinking like a proprietor. And if you're not prepared to do this, don't become a business person. You've got to be mm-hmm. this. These are, these are common traits of great, successful business owners. Hard work ethic, understanding and being prepared for it. Two, thinking like a proprietor in everything you do in running your business. And the third one, which is a really good one, is whatever your product is, it doesn't matter how complex it is, make sure you've got a simple explanation. Yeah. It's got to be simple. So Julie just showed me something there. She showed me a, a razor that she's developed. As soon as she showed it to me, I loved it. Um, it's <laughs> retro because I remember having one of these when I was just a young man, first started to shave. That was what the shave looked like. But a current shaver, a current, a current shaver that would not be in Julie's shelf online or other physical she won't have a plastic disposable razor thing because, you, you know, use it once or twice, you throw the bloody thing away. What this is is a, a steel razor, which is exactly the one I used to have. You unscrew it. And why it's so simple is you just take the top off. Conceptually simple. You put the there's – a, there's, a, there's a razor goes in here, you screw it back on, and then you don't throw anything away other than the razor once it's been used. Is that right? Yep, that's it. Very simple product. But not only is it simple – but it's actually quite elegantly expressed. So simplicity builds elegance for me. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to achieve, elegance. Elegance in your product and or service and the way you express it elegantly is very fucking important. This is an example of elegance and it's simplicity in its best form and it so happens to be it's, – it's actually quite beautifully um, built. Yeah. And if we want people to shift to this – we have to make people change and we can't give them the stick approach. We've got to give them the carrots. Yeah, yeah. And It's attractive. And it's attractive. I mean, I quite love it. That's like, right. This best expresses and explains Julie's business Yeah. of, uh, I don't know, I hate that word eco-friendly, but whatever, um, it's responsible. It's responsible, exactly. It's, it's, we're not throwing anything away. But, you know, someone might say, oh, well, yeah, but you had to build a steel mill to yeah, – Oh, that's yeah, how, yeah that. Okay, that's fine. But, <laughs> but it's actually – it's clever and it's it's efficient. It's probably the best way to look at it. I mean, to some extent, well, things that I'm environmentally uncomfortable with are largely inefficient. Yeah. You know, the, let's take the word environmentally um, uncomfortable and just say, I just don't like inefficient things. So this is very efficient. Yeah. Like I'm not, I don't, I mean, people might think, oh, disposable is not efficient. Because you've got to it's, get another one. It's a t- it, yeah. We have been convinced by manufacturers over the last 20 years that if it's disposable, it's efficient. We go, wham, wham, throw it away. Yeah. That's not fucking efficient. This yeah. is efficient. Yeah. And uh, elegant and expressed simply and beautifully. So there are three things <laughs> to our, our listeners. 
understand the ethic of hard work, and, and Julie's put it beautifully. Two, think like a proprietor. If you want to own this business, and by the way, if you want to be employed in someone's business, you've got to start thinking like a proprietor too, and there's a special way of doing that. And then finally, make sure you can express things simply and elegantly and efficiently, which is, you know, like the, the best outcomes. I mean, I, I would like to ask you this. Yeah. You guys are brilliant on Facebook and Instagram, but when it comes to those environments, the messaging has still has to be simple. Very, very simple. Because people won't get it. No. And it comes down to things, The because thi- I've now worked in retail for a long time, <laughs> not far off 30 years now. Um, and... Um, and I've worked in many different retailers, and crikey, did people make things complicated? Yeah. And it comes down to simple things like promotions. And I, I worked in a fashion retailer uh, for a little, for a small amount of time, to be honest. And um, and geez, do they make it complicated? Because they go right, we're going to do a spend and save. So if you spend over fifty, you get five percent off. If you spend over hundred, you get nah. fifteen. And I, I said on multiple occasions, people don't actually understand percentages. It actually doesn't mean a lot to people so just make it simple and just go 20% off boom just just make it easy well can you tell me why is it these marketing people are like that I mean, can you explain it to me I think they're constantly trying to look for new they, they, Do you think they overthink things I think they overthink it I also think this is where they don't know their customer because they come up with ideas and you just go no that's absolutely nuts and there's different ways that you can look at it and I think it's a blunt it's a blunt tool often that is used instead of going, well, let's come up with that safety razor because that's actually what people want. So if you come up with that, you actually don't need to discount it because it's, it's something that people are after right now. And this is being close to your customer and knowing what they want rather than trying to sell, you know, trying to discount stuff. It's like at the moment we've got hand sanitizer as probably the world has. Everyone's got way too much hand sanitizer. It doesn't matter how much we discount it. Can't shift it. <laughs> so we yeah. just it'll go at some point. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's just a call you make in, in, in the world and so be it. But um, you have to understand your customer and you've got to, you've got to look at the, you've got to look at the data, you've got to look at the feedback, but you've also just got to talk to them as well. Some of the most valuable things that I do is, is and it's why I love having a physical store, is just talking to customers. And I'm constantly going through our customer inbox and, um, and we've got a team that manage all of this, but I like to understand what they're saying. And I think it's really... And you've got to ask questions for that, haven't you? And you've got to ask questions. You can't just read what they've hit you up with because it could mean a lot of things. Well, yeah. we're going to go to the break and we're going to listen to our sponsor, but when I come back for the break, I want to talk to you about this. Um, I, I want to talk about what where the name Forum want to come from. Um, yeah. I want to talk about uh, how you use Facebook and um, Instagram. Um, I want to talk about your product range. I want to talk about what the ethic of the whole place is and what's your what's your purpose of your business. I mean, what are you what are you personally trying to achieve? And what do, and then importantly, I want to talk about how you assess your customers. That's because I, I have a really strong view on customer assessment mm. and getting the customer to tell me what they want. Particularly in the business like you, yours where you've got something like 7,000 lines of products or something, would that be right? How many? have got over 8,000 now. 8,000 lines of products. So, yeah. I mean, uh, that's important. I mean, because you, yeah. you don't have too many because it's unwieldy. Yep. And then at the same time, you want to have what your customers need. Yeah. Because you're like an aggregation platform of all things to all people in yes. terms of people who follow you or who come to your shop. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. We, we've got 300 plus brands, including our own brand. And um, and we go across many different categories, so makeup to skincare to body and hair to home products and and so many different categories. So we sort of yeah we're we're a huge platform. We stock everything, so we don't drop ship. We stock because I'm 
True Blue retailer, so I believe in owning the customer yep. and um, and also getting things out quickly. Um, and But, yeah, we're, we're very much a platform for brands. Or I, I like to call us a platform for purpose, actually, Yeah, because we're so much more than selling stuff. Yeah, you're not there trying to just sell someone else's product. You're, Correct. You're, you've got a, an objective Correct. in relation to what product you sell and to who your customer is. Yes, yes. And, yeah, we're absolutely not just there to sell product. And, and those that come in just wanting to sell product are the ones that go, oh, well, this isn't working, so we'll discount it. Yeah. Oh, and it's still not working. And we've seen lots come in and go, and it's they haven't been retailers before and they don't necessarily understand how to do that or they don't understand their customer or whatever it is. But we're there. I view us as a bit of a community and a bit of solving solutions in general, one of which is products. But then... Uh, there's also diversity in the workplace. There are so many different... I want us to be a, a better retailer and better business all round. And so from that, it's, yeah, it's what we sell, but it's who we employ, it's how we employ them, it's um, what we do with our waste, uh, how we get our energy. There's all of those different things. And, and those are things which I get excited about because I look at things and I go, could we do that better? Yeah, we can. Well, how do we do that better? And better means something not necessarily... Faster or etc. Better means something different. Better means something different to you, maybe to a lot of other people too. Exactly, yeah. exactly. What I view as better may be absolutely different to other folk. It's, it depends how you you view it. I look at it in terms of going, right. Well, we're sending. I don't know, I'm making these numbers up, by the way. Three three tons of plastic waste to um, to our recycling people, which is just packaging waste each year. How do we make that two? How do we make that one? How do we eliminate it? Because for me, that's better, that's less waste. But that might be different to other people. Other people might go, well, how do I make it cheaper? Because for them it's better. Yeah. Cheaper to dispose of. Whereas I, uh, yeah, so you've got to figure out what your what your better is. And stick to it. And stick to it. Yeah. Be relentless, relentless over it. Yeah, I like and that. Don't, don't bow at any point. I like that, that concept of being relentless. Yeah. I mean, like, I, mean, I, I refer to it as ruthless. When I, say, when I say ruthless, I don't mean ruthless Horrible ruthless. I just mean ruthless to a purpose. Yeah. So you have an objective. Be ruthless to the objective. Yeah. Don't let that. Don't let. Don't accept anything ten percent beyond or ten percent underneath. You get your objective done. and Be ruthless about it. The way you go about it. It's about the way you go about things. And that doesn't mean to be horrible to people. We're going to go to the break. We'll come straight back. And I want to talk to Julie Mathers from Flora and Fauna about her business and all the parts that make her business really successful. And I particularly want to know about how she assesses what customers are looking for. Thank you with Julie Mathers from Flora and Fauna. Um, I just want to, is it floraandfauna.com.au or is it floraandfauna.com? Pardon my ignorance. .com.au. .com, good. Can't okay. get the .com. Okay. The name. <laughs> Where did you get, why did you have Flora and Fauna? I mean, when me growing up as a kid, there was a chapter in Harry Messel's science book, which is a green science book that most kids in this in this country look, used. And uh, there was a whole chapter on it called Flora and Fauna. And I thought, what the hell are those two words? I had no idea what they were, but I do yeah. now. Now, yeah. uh, Tell me about it. Um, I would love to say that there was some real magic to this. <laughs> but the reality is when I, was, when I was coming up with the concept of the business, it was like at the time it was very much sort of, okay, well, I love animals and I love the environment. And uh, so how can we get that into two words? and um, Or into how can we get that into a business name, and uh, uh, and and we went through different different words, and we go, oh no, that one's gone. 
Can't have that one. The URL's taken default, on that one. The default name. It's a bit. Well, it's just like, I think I can remember, and, and this is where I work really, really well with my husband because um, you just you just start bouncing ideas off each other. And then and you go, oh, no, that's not very good. Oh, no, that doesn't work. Oh, no, that's not great. And then you go, flora and fauna. That's brilliant. That's great. That sticks. And that just felt really good. It felt like it was meant to be. Well, it's interesting. The name, at least here in Australia, I can't talk about it anywhere else, but as I said, it's a name we grew up with, that name. So it, yeah. it was a terminology. It was a thing we learned at school. So flora and fauna wasn't probably not something we would ordinarily use in our normal language. Yeah. But, but you know, they're Latin words. But, but at the same time, um, it's, some, it's a phrase we know. Yes. So therefore we'll remember it. And I keep saying to people, people say, oh, what business name should I have? I don't give a fuck what business name you have, but have a name that people will remember. Yeah. I don't care. Like just make it a word that's memorable. It doesn't, they don't even have to like it. Yeah. They've got to like your product and your service, but as long as they remember it. I mean like Virgin. Virgin's a good example. Like a lot of people hate that name when it first came out um, because of the connotations. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, they remembered it. Yeah. And it's got some strong sound letters in it. I are urgent. They're strong mm. sounds. Flora and fauna. They yeah. are strong sounding letters and syllables. Yeah. It's strong, therefore it sticks in your brain. Flora and fauna is something we're familiar with. Virgin is something we're familiar with. I mean, then I did the same with the name wizard when I had the wizard business. Wizard. And was, wizard is something in Australia is a common word, you know, in terms of um, sporting wizardry and financial wizardry. So, mm. so if you're looking for a name, Come up with something that people will at least remember. There's a reason why they remember it, whatever it is. So, and yeah. that your name, I think Flora and Fauna is a great name. Awesome. And most of us can spell it too. Like, it's got to be able to be spelt. Yes. Because I've got to be able to type it in these days. Well, this is it. You've got to be able to type it in. And it's, and it's really, we do get some misspellings of it, but we've got those covered in Google. But, um, it's really interesting that you say that. It's got to be different. It's got to be memorable because we see a lot of businesses starting in our space. And I mean, particularly at the moment, actually, there's lots of people going, I'm going to start an online business. But the names are all a variation on a theme. Eco, natural, yeah. they're all a bit samey-samey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're and not memorable. They're not memorable. Yeah. And, and you kind of go, even I go, oh, well, what's that one called again? Is it eco something or the other? And they're all just a bit same. So go and stand out there and, and be different and, and own it and as don't, well. And don't be silly. Like I remember I did it, one of the, when I did the Mentor TV show, one of the episodes was about this family who had a real estate business and they decided to set up their real estate business in Queensland, North Queensland, or a little past Brisbane, and they, they decided to call it ubiquitous real estate. And I thought, what the fuck? I mean, <laughs> uh, and the reason why they, uh, they chose the name ubiquitous is because the young daughter in the, the daughter in the family, she wasn't young, she was in her 20s or late 20s, she heard the word ubiquitous mentioned on a news show and she thought, looked it up because she didn't know what it meant. She thought, that sounds like a really smart name. The bottom line is someone can't spell ubiquitous. There's no point calling your business ubiquitous and not many people can spell ubiquitous. So I, so I actually said, and I want to get onto this with you now. Yeah. I actually said, okay, let's go around um, in, in Brisbane, north of Brisbane, and let's survey people, you and me, with a camera and a, and a microphone and ask them, A, do they know what ubiquitous means? Do they know what it means? And B, can they spell it? Because, you know, if you can't Google, if you can't type it into Google, yeah. you're not going to find me. Um, and you can't type it in if you can't spell it. And if you know what it means, well, fuck, that's that's even worse. And you know, ubiquitous means like everywhere. But still, like everywhere, everywhere, real estate, ubiquitous real estate. I mean, like in the end, I got it to change the name to Morton Bay Real Estate because they, they come from Morton Bay. Oh, perfect. Like, hello, 
<laughs> come from, call yourself Morton Bay Real Estate. That was available. They didn't even look that up. So in terms of um, flora and fauna, I mean, I get why you called it. It's a great name. But customer discussions, you talked about it a bit earlier, which is why you like having your, your shop at, in the front of your <laughs> business now. Um, but how important is it to talk to your customers, actually speak to your customers in front of them even, not just behind a screen? Mm. How important is it to you for you and how important is it to all our small business listeners to know what your customer is actually thinking? It's crazily important. What do you do what, then? So what we do, we do a variety of things and we did this from day one. And I think because I'm so customer focused is that they're our world really. So I've kind of instilled it in day one. So we do, we do, um, we talk to them in any which way. And my view is, however they want to talk to us, we'll, we'll talk to them that way. So let's not give yeah, them... by whatever means you mean. By whatever means. So if they want to talk to us on email, we'll do that. If they want to talk to us on Instagram message or Facebook message or if they want to talk to us on vi- live chat or on the phone, everyone's got their very different ways of communicating. So let's not force everyone into one funnel mm. because it suits us. Or because it's the cool thing to do. We should be all digital. I know. Push them all down the digital funnel. Exactly. We we have customers who want to phone us. They phone us for the very first couple of years. <laughs> I stupidly, but you make these decisions. I gave my phone number out to a customer, so she would call me quite regularly, actually, Elizabeth. And um, and she would say to me, Julie, what's new? Tell me what's new. I just want to know what's new. And she spent 400 bucks a time, but she just wanted me to tell her. And she didn't want to go online. She didn't want to do it. She just wanted me to do it for her. And it's a very personal service. And at one point I had to go, oh, you, I, I kind of need to pass you over to, to Brianne in customer care now. But, um, but that's what she does. She's my age. She's not, not a digital native, but she prefers to shop that way. So you have to allow people to shop as, and talk to you as they want to. Some people want to go on live chat. So something we've done recently, and it's actually come about because of COVID, is we've extended our hours. So we used to work uh, 7.30 till 5, and those were the hours that customers could talk to us. Now, with COVID, we've had more volume, and we've had to socially distance the team, particularly in the warehouse. So we've gone to two shifts. So we now operate a shift 7 till 2.50, and we operate 3 till 9.30. And we've changed our customer care hours to match that as well. So now customers can talk to us until 9.30 at night, which they love. Because we're kind of going, well, you don't have to talk to us in these hours. You can talk to us in all of these hours. It's funny, you know, that, that's very interesting you should say because I had a conversation with the guys at Yellow Brick Road the other day and um, what's happened in the banking system is that um, the banks put everybody, a lot of people work in banking environments now work from home, like mm. everybody. And um, therefore the approval process of your application for a home loan um, doesn't happen between nine and five like it used to pre, pre-COVID. And uh, what's happening is a lot of the people who do the improving, um, a lot of them, they work from home. So three o'clock, they go off and they go pick their kids up from school or they might, I don't know, take the dog for a walk or do something with their family. Yeah. And then they have dinner and they clock back on at seven and they work till seven till eight, uh, seven till 10, like a couple of hours, yeah. which means they pick up your file, your application. So I've said to my guys, okay, that's our customer. Mm-hmm. You now have to change your hours because you can't be – locking yourself up at, uh, from six on because, you know, that's what the old hours you used to work. You have to now also do the same thing. Yeah. We have to respond to our customer base. So that's really important to all small business owners out there at the moment. There's been a, ch- a structural change out there. 
in the way we live our lives, mm. the way we work, live our working lives. And we, the vendor or the servicer, we must adapt to what they're doing. Yeah? Absolutely. And that, Absolutely. That's, a, that's, a, that's a very, I'm glad you raised it because it's a really important point. It happened in my own business. And it doesn't always suit us, but I, I keep saying to my guys, well, you're going to have to take your time off between three and six yourself or three and seven yourself. Yeah, yeah. But that's just how, it's how we've got to roll. And it's really, and you know what, and it's interesting because I made the assumption that, oh, no, God, no one's going to want to work. You know, when we went to this two shifts, I went, God, no one's going to want to do the late shift because it finishes at half nine at night. Well, how wrong was I? Lots of people wanted to do the late shift. 100%. Yeah, because we have um, mums who go, well, actually, do, get, getting into your seven is just a nightmare for me. But if I can work three till half nine, brilliant, because I've dealt with my kids during the day and done all that sort of stuff and I can work at night. So people just, just want to do that night shift and then they've got the day to themselves. Uni students, um, but actually lots of people. And um, and we're really flexible with the customer. Right, we're super flexible with the customer care team. So somebody will go, oh, I'll do late, late, late night shifts this week and, yeah, next week I'll do the morning. And I think the more flexible you can be with people, the more they take ownership for a start because that's what you need them to do. Um, but it's just a new way of working. So how does Flora and Fauna, I mean, and I went through this same process myself at the beginning of the COVID period when we pretty much made everyone work from home. Mm. How does your business, Flora and Fauna, make sure that no one takes the piss? Yeah. I'm going to tell you, they're working from home, they're working from allegedly from three till nine. Yeah. Um, how, how do you, we, how how do you we... make sure you get productivity and, and uh, as I said, no one takes a piss? I mean, uh, yeah. do you have a process? What is it? So there's a few things that we do and we've learned ourselves over the years. So we've had some good highs and some bad highs, reality, like every business. But um, we really give people ownership for their area. And I think if you can stop treating them like children, then they won't behave like children. Um, and so for us, we, uh, what I've said is, look, you figure out how you work, how you want to work. If you want to come in, you can come in because the warehouse team are in, the customer care team are in. So if you want to come in, you can come in. Equally, if you want to work from home, work from home. But our expectations are this. So we're not in, I don't care whether you're sitting at your computer for 12 hours a day, but if you're not producing anything, that's not right. 12 very useful hours. How do you check that? How do you check the productivity? What are you- oh, so we're really clear in terms of expectations. Right. So um, some may re- describe me as a control freak, but <laughs> I know I mean, what we've got to control. One hundred percent. We've got to control this, and we know what we need to deliver. We're a, we're a small team, so we're not. You know, and I've worked in large businesses where you've got fat. You've got way too much fat mm-hmm. in the business. Mm-hmm. We don't have room for fat, so everybody has to deliver. Um. Something we have done, actually, which I think has been really helpful, is we've introduced a Slack channel. And this was down to wonderful Justine in the team, who said to us when she arrived, she goes, we should have Slack. And, and me just went, no, no, I don't want Slack. Anyway, it's been great. Because what we've found now is the team are talking amongst themselves. And particularly when we get customer care issues, one of the team will put it on Slack and go, hey, does anyone know anything about this? And lots of different people. Internally, yeah. Internally. Yep. Go, Oh no, this is the answer. So you got like a like a let's call it an internet old school internet. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so you we have one called Ask an Advisor. So yeah, but the same. And and what is actually what's interesting about it is that they all them community them building their own community and you have a bit of a chat with each other too because they yeah. might all be working from different places. That's it. And uh, they get up and say, oh yeah, I saw that uh, problem and uh, this is how I solved it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. exactly what we do. It's like someone's got an issue, but probably we've got a decent bunch of brains in here. Someone's probably going to have the answer but do, there. Do you um, uh, facilitate it and monitor it, or do you just let them go? Let them go. Yeah. Let them go. You can't. You, there are some things you can have control of, and there are other things that's like, no, just run with it. Do you read it? Do you personally read it? Because oh, I, yeah, I, I'm I on it. Ask an Advisor, so when a question goes up on our Ask an Advisor platform, which is similar yeah. to what you're talking about, I read every one of them. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because I, I'm actually wanting to know what they want to know. I'm, exactly. I'm looking at things, and then if I don't see a response quickly, I get on to the guys, our, say our customer service people internally, and I'll say, you need to respond quickly because that's been sitting there for too long without an answer. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I read every one of those. I read them all as well because it also informs you. So when team, when the team are saying, "God, I'm not sure what to do about this skincare," or "I don't know what advice to give," to me that goes, "Well, we need to get some training on that then." So it, it informs you in terms of, well, that's a again, that's a problem. Well, is there a bigger solution to that rather than just someone going, "Here's the answer"? It's like, well, let, how do we make sure that that question isn't even answered because that person actually knows. So, yeah, I read everyone as well. Um, I've built ours into a library now. So I'm, oh, I'm actually putting good. it in a category so that oh, that's a really good at, idea. At, at some point in time you don't have to ask the question. You can just go into then look under the under the heading of, um, in my case, finance. Like you can look under the heading of uh, um, owner-occupier, um, more than 70% LVR. That's a te- technical stuff. But yeah. um, then there will be 20 questions that have been asked and 20 answers. So it's already yeah, libraried. Yeah, um, really and good. I find a really good intellectual property. Yeah. Ownership of this is like really valuable because every single question that's getting asked out there in the marketplace, and we've got a couple of thousand people sitting out there in the marketplace, um, and you know, at least 150,000 customers, um, I'm hoping I can build a, a diary yeah. of, of, of all this. And, and I mean, I guess what I'm saying, this is really important. Julie, Julie's here saying, uh, telling us, these these are really inside secrets of how you run successful businesses in with minutia. Like this is minutia stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's very important. And these mm. things do get me excited too. I'm sounding very excited at the moment, but <laughs> we're, we're both getting very excited about this stuff. But but by the way, at an intellectual level, it, you've got to make it exciting for yourself. If mm. you if you think this is boring shit, then you're not you will not succeed as well as you want to succeed in business if mm. you have big goals. Yeah. Um, you've got to have big goals, but you've got to be big goals require lots of um, effort in the minutiae. Don't just have big goals and say, oh, I'm the yeah. big thinker here and it's all going to happen. <laughs> you got to say big goals. As soon as you've got big goals, you gotta, that, that happens by the little things, the one, what they call the one percenters. And I'm, I hate hearing it, but it, that's the truth. The one percenters are the important things. And these are examples of the one percenters. Yeah. How can I get more out of this um, Slack environment or, or so-called yeah. Slack or, in my case, Ask an Advisor? So, so yes, have an Ask an Advisor. Good idea. Have, have, a, have a Slack platform. Okay, there's questions coming in. How can I turn those questions into something that's more valuable to me? Well, I'm going to at least read them, find out what's going on in the business, what Julie does. She reads it all this stuff. You, the proprietor, you've got to do that. Yeah. I mean, you, and then, oh, okay, what's my next leverage point? Oh, maybe I can uh, start to put that into categories. Maybe it's something I now know that the rest of the marketplace doesn't know. Do I, am I building something? Then you can go back to your suppliers and say, listen, my customers are asking for this and you don't supply it. Yeah. Uh, how do we change the product? Is that, uh, oh, that they're the one percenters? They're the, they're the things you're constantly asking yourself. You're constantly asking yourself, what can I do better? Do better, and that's that's the whole point. You yeah. you do that with your plastic, with the with plastic everything. example you were just talking about before. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm getting too excited. I've got to pull back a bit now. So <laughs> can, can you just tell me? I want you to tell me. I mean, we've got some great products here on the table. Um, mm. but you got as you said, eight thousand product lines, yeah. eight thousand SKUs. Um, where to 
for flora and fauna? Like, where are you going to take this to? I mean, you own it yourself now. You hundred percent owned by me. Yeah. Yes. No, no investors. No. So self-funded the whole way through. Self-funded. Right. Self-funded. So where to from here? Where to from here? So we're at a really good side. Not really good. We, we, How many I, countries are you well, trading in? Well, one, one. So Australia mainly, but we we sell globally. Yep. So we sell globally. So anyone from anywhere can buy from us. Interesting with COVID, that's all changed a bit because for a while we couldn't even get parcels out of the country. Right. So that's all shifted a bit. But um, but yeah, largely largely in Australia. I think we've still got a long way to go in Australia because I will talk to people who should know us and they go, I don't know who you are. And I go, okay, well, you should know who we are. So there's still a lot of a lot of work to do in Australia. In growth. In growth, yeah. We still have more product to bring on, for sure, because there's some category. There are some areas. If people talk to me about natural deodorant now, as an example, I'm like, oh my god, we've got every deodorant under the sun. Another deodorant paste is not going to change the world. So, don't talk to me about that. But then there are other categories where I go, well, that's really interesting. Um, Do people pitch to you? Is that oh, how it works? All the time, yeah. So we've actually, um, I think it, this is something that we've changed over time. So. When people used to come to us about products, we just used to send them through the customer care inbox. Anyway, as we've grown, we've gone, well, that's just crazy because that's just ending up into, it's not ending up being focused on customers, it's focused on suppliers, so that's silly. So now we have a separate buying email where um, suppliers pitch into that and then, and we look through it and we go, well, that's interesting, let's talk a bit more about that or that's more skincare, that's more skincare, that's more skincare. So we're not that interested in that. Um, so there's lots of stuff that comes through there. So part of it's pitching, but also part of it is me. Um, and I did it on the weekend. Actually, I have a little trick. If you really want to get someone's attention, email them on the weekend. Yeah. That's what I do. Um, and I, I used to email them Friday nights. Yeah, yeah. And they're not, don't email them Monday. Nightmare, silly time to email them. So, and I was after, I've been, I've been working. Part of this is real work as well, just because we are, we're, you know, we're reasonably big in our space, but... It's still hard work to get some brands on board because some of them don't trust online for a start and some of them just don't want to work with us. They just want to do their own thing. So, um, and there's one that I've been nursing for, oh, God, three years now. Anyway, they've got a new CEO. And I'm like, brilliant, new CEO, new thinking. So I emailed him on the weekend and we got a hit. So, <laughs> so we've got a conversation this afternoon. But you've got to be, a, you've got to be uh, relentless. Yeah. And, but in a really... Um, Smart way as well. Don't just keep hammering them down because it's the same with us. If we get people buying emails coming in and someone's going, just a reminder, just a reminder, just a reminder, it's the quickest way to go, I'll just file that. Yeah. Yeah. So be, be smart. Yeah, I mean, I, I get people do that to me too, by the way. I mean, like it's 100% like if people keep coming at me from every direction and just to some extent they've got to be clever. If they come at to me in a clever way, I'm more mm. likely to respond to it. Yeah. In in the interest of time, um, I've been asking you lots of questions. But would you have do you have a question you would like to ask me? And by the way, I have to pre- preface that that before before you get into it, um, I want to say to everybody, Alexandra Sloan, who's the director of marketing at uh, Facebook and Instagram, puts this lady up as the, or and or Flora and Fauna as one of the best case studies for the use of social mediums, and she's always wrapping them. Um, so. Do yourself a flat favor, go to the Instagram or, or, or the Facebook page and have a look at Flora and Fauna. You may want to buy, you may not want to buy, but that's irrelevant. Just go, go up there and have a look about how this lady operates her business in, a, in those two mediums. 
Um, so what is your question? Thank you. No, but they do. They do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, she, she uses you as a case study all the time, notwithstanding I did something with you and a number of others for um, Facebook a little while ago, but she's always talking about you. To me, because I talk to I talk to her all the time. So, in, in fact, she, in fact, she did a. I now remember she came in here and uh, she did a Facebook. Actually, did a um, podcast with me, and she yeah. talked about you. Yeah, yeah. Not you, yeah, but about Florence. Florence. Yeah, yeah. That's totally. brilliant. No, she's lovely, Alexandra. She's, she's, she's great. She's, she's great value. She's fantastic. Yeah. So, nice what is your question? So, my question to you is: We're at a really good. We're at a great size, but we want to go bigger, further, more. And we're looking looking at a few things, one of which is international. And that's a whole different beast. Mm. So if we were to take a brand internationally, what would be your best advice in getting started? The only experience I've had having an international brand was in a technology business that I was involved in. And whilst we were really quite successful here in Australia in terms of our technology, it was way ahead of everybody else. And it was a branded technology. Um, I tell you about the mistake we made. We tried to be everywhere. Um, and it was a, it, there, was, there was demand pull for our product big time. Um, um, we had some great tech titans around the world who used our product. Pretty much all the tech titans used our, our technology product. It was security. It was a security product, but sort of deep, deep, deep security. Um, but our, our mistake was to get overexcited, go and raise a whole lot of money and go to too many places. Mm. The thing that worked the best for us was actually um, picking one place. In fact, we picked one place in Singapore and uh, we, we built a really good base in Singapore and, and then we got really good um, reference points in Singapore. So we had a really good customer in Singapore, well-known globally in our space, well-known globally. This particular customer was a global leader in this particular type of expression of, of technology i can't really talk about what it is because we ended up at nato as well so you know it's, right. it's a real heavy security product Whoa. for technology but nonetheless the thing the thing we did well was when we concentrated on this one client in singapore and one in other words one geography yeah and put all our resources in that one geography yeah where we stuffed it is that we try to be everywhere then because everyone then started coming and saying oh yeah we can do this we can do that. but we didn't have the, enough resources to do it yeah. and then and I don't, I don't that's not just money it's not just people. It's just infrastructure. We didn't have yeah. the infrastructure. We could deliver, yes, because um, we manufactured the stuff in Taiwan, but we could deliver. But that, that, that wasn't the issue. It was about just being able to deal with stuff, price yeah. stuff, just general infrastructure, just how the business was rolling. And that sort of thing takes years and years and years. Mm. So I would say to you, um, if you were going to do this, I would pick one region. Yeah. And then Focus. build out from the region. You might pick North America. You might pick uh, – Europe, you might pick the UK, you might pick Asia, I don't know. But yeah. I would pick one region and build out slowly. I, I wouldn't go and raise a whole shitload of money and then say we're going to take, going to go global. Yeah, yeah, Which yeah. is what we did, by the way, and it was a mistake. Right. We burnt the money. Yeah. Really quick. Yeah. And um, we had a whole lot of customers, but like we didn't have a lot in any one particular place. And yeah. then what happens in, our, in, in that particular business, by the time we got well-known around the place, other people said, shit, we can do that, and they started to try to copy us. Yes. And then all of a sudden we had competition. Yeah. Now our product was the best product in the world technologically, but it was also therefore it was also the most expensive because it was very complex. 
Others started to do dumbed down versions of it, mm. and we and so we lost the value of time, and therefore we got competed against. So you got to be careful of being everywhere and being seen as being everywhere and being really really successful. And other people come and copy you, then actually concentrate on the particular zone. So I would just, for me, I would just go for one zone, and probably mm. North America is probably the most obvious. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, for your type of product, yeah, retail product, absolutely. Um, and and but I'd make sure I don't. I did all the research first, and I reckon. Having a North American partner is always a good idea. Yeah, because the reality is we don't know the market. Correct. You've got to have someone who can help you in North America. Yeah, that's a, that's really good sound advice. So maybe you'll find a partner. So maybe it's an investment partner, or maybe it's mm. a, a venture capitalist who who actually understands what you do and has um, bench strength. Yeah. Or it might be someone who you vertically integrate with over there. Or it could be a, or it could be someone who sells product on your platform, who's a big organisation. I don't know, but a partner is. I think in in outside out of town is the best thing to do. Best way to go. And just I would just go one region first and pick a region where you can grow, you know, it's big. Big. so big you can grow big. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like Singapore wouldn't be a good idea, but it was in our case, but not in your case, but like yeah. North America's a lot of people. It's a huge number of people, right? And, and if you if you can do well there, you you've killed it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome advice. Thank you so much, Mark. That's that's really good. Thanks, Julie. Mate, there's like you have a great business. I'm really proud that um, you're an Australian um, now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. An Australian <laughs> an Australian lady has built a great business um, without really needing to tap into anybody. She's done it on her own. She's still got the same amount of enthusiasm and um, excitement as she had, from, probably more since from the day she started. Yeah, it's environmentally conscious. Yes. Yes, that's the way. And has a very good purpose. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mark. Brilliant to be here. 